So here's, here's um, something. I know it's Mother's Day, but as a father, this is something that I always looked forward to when I became a father. This is something I was like, this is going to be cool. I can't wait to do this. And it, it was a day that I'll never forget. And it was teaching my oldest daughter how to ride her bike without training wheels. Now, my youngest daughter, I think she picked it up pretty quick. She saw everybody else. She jumped in and ran with it. My oldest daughter, though, since she was the oldest, it took a little bit more. Her name is Emma, and I was ready to teach Emma how to ride her bike without training wheels. However, we live on a cul-de-sac that's on a slope. It's kind of on a hill, and our driveway is also on a hill. So it's good for taking off. It's harder to stop right? They just keep going. So we loaded up her bike and we went to a a bigger parking lot that was flat and we were going to learn how to ride her bike. And I was so excited. I was prepped. I was ready. We got the helmet ready. We got the bike ready. I was ready with all kinds of pep talk, you know, the physics of riding a bike and what it takes. You got to keep moving. It's only two wheels. If you stop, you'll lose your balance. I mean, we were going through it all. We had the helmet. Now it wasn't forced, She was a part of this, and she wanted to do this. So we were going, and I was getting myself ready. And I was ready for everything. I was ready for injury. I was ready for crying. I was ready for giving up. I was ready to put the training wheels back on if I had to, um, just to make this work. However, there was something I was not prepared for. You can't prepare for everything, right? And I was there. I was ready for all the circumstances except this one thing called insecurity. I hadn't prepped for that. I should have, right? I'm a pastor. I know I'm going to have to talk about insecurity someday, so I should have worked on this and been ready for it. Plus, I'm the only guy in our house. I'm in a house full of females, and I know that it's different. Now, guys still have insecurities, but it's different. And so I should have been prepared for this, going into riding and learning how to ride a bike. And she did great for her first time, but she decided to stop. At some point, she said, I'm done. I want to stop. And she said it this way. She was disappointed that she wasn't picking it up faster, and it didn't come right away. And she said, all the other kids on the street can ride their bikes without training wheels except me. And she was sad. And she was disappointed that she couldn't do it on that first day. And she felt bad because she didn't measure up. And it wasn't because of my standards that I was pushing on her. It was because of her standards comparing herself to everybody else around, all the other kids on the street. So I had to shift modes, right? I had to quickly take what I was ready for and shift into something else. I was no longer a coach or a trainer or an educator or a bike expert. I had to become an encourager for her. And I learned quickly as well, I'm not just teaching bike riding skills. I'm teaching life skills. You teach something else at that point. It's the development of a person, not just a bike rider. I also found out very quickly that joking about insecurity to someone who's insecure is not a good idea. All right, don't do that. It it works against what you're trying to accomplish because I've learned this over time. Some of the most talented people I know are insecure about their talents. It's odd. Some of the most beautiful people I know are insecure about their looks. And, And it's part of us. Many times we achieve our goals, we're successful, and we win only to walk away feeling defeated because... We lose that excitement quickly. 
We often throw up another goal right away. It's right in front of us. And we have this um, habit of whether it's self-rejection, you know, in your mind, you, you celebrate quickly, but then you go right back into, I'm not good enough and I can't get there, and I didn't do it well enough. A critical voice in our head sets another goal to achieve, and we never think we can accomplish it. Actually, I um, heard about uh, is a, a woman who was on the U.S. Olympic ski team, and she was ranked 10th in the world. But she was interviewed, and she described the feeling of feeling like a failure. She said, I feel like a failure. She's ranked 10th in the, the top 10 in the whole world. And she feels like a failure because she wasn't the best. And we do this to ourselves. There's, there's a battle of self-image that goes on within us, feeling like we will never measure up because no matter what we do, there's always a kid on our block that can ride their bike better. Right? There's always someone that can do whatever we're trying to do. They can do it better than us. And if insecurity was an illness, if this was something that we could you know, take on, if it was an illness that we could get, the symptoms would be hard to define, and they would affect all of us differently. And they go to extremes with that, uh, any symptom that we have, it's an extreme with that. Some people, with your insecurities, they make you shy. You, you just become this shy person. For others, you talk a lot. So your insecurities make you, you know, speed up and talk a lot. For some people, their insecurities make them outgoing. They want to get out and be with people. For some, their insecurities want to make you stay at home. And it's the extremes of this. Some of you, your insecurities make you independent. I can do it myself. And for others, your insecurities make you think you can't do anything by yourself and you need help from everybody around you. So let's look at it. What is this thing called insecurity? And I believe it's this. It's, it's a form of fear. We're afraid of something. Something gets in us, the fear of not being able to accomplish something. There's, there's fear in that, but I want you to hear me for sure this morning. If you struggle with this, insecurity is not a sin. This is not a sin that, that um, you are struggling through. Now, I, I believe you can sin through your reaction to some insecurities, but the feeling of being insecure is not a sin. I actually believe God made us this way. I believe that he put in us a certain level of insecurity to help us understand the situation that we're in. Let me give you an example. Here, here would be an example of this. Let's say you walk out on your friend's deck. You're at your friend's house. You walk out on their second story deck. So you're up a whole story and you notice that the wood is rotten and the deck is starting to, to um, wave a little bit. You're going to swing back and forth. I hope you have a feeling of insecurity at that time. <laughs> you should feel insecure and want to move back inside or on solid ground, right? If, you, if there's someone that you work with or you live with that's dishonest or abusive, you need to have a feeling of insecurity about that that says to you there's fear in this and there's a reason there's fear. It's to save you from continuing with that or you need to fix it. If you're on a military convoy in Afghanistan and you're on this lonely road, you know, in, in enemy territory, you better feel a little bit of insecurity so that you're aware of your surroundings and what's going on. Um, if you come under the conviction of sin, if there's a sin in your life and you feel convicted about it and you understand God's wrath, there should be some insecurity in there that says, I need to change. I need to stop what I'm doing and change my ways. 
God designed us with a little bit of insecurity in us as a warning sign. It's like danger, danger, stop doing this. You need to get back so that you feel the security of safety and what that is. But in our culture, we've changed it a little bit. Um, we talk about an insecure person as a state of being, right? I, I am being insecure, or that is an insecure person, right? We point fingers or report fingers at us, and it becomes who we are more than a feeling that drives us to safety. It, it's who we are. It's a significant lack of self-confidence, in our society today, it's the fear of others or the, the disapproval or the rejection of others. It's the chronic sense of inferiority where we just don't feel like we ever measure up anywhere. Our society has turned it into our identity. So we take this insecurity and instead of it just being a feeling of fear, it becomes who we are in our core. And that's not what God intended That's not how he designed us to be. So we have to ask this question. This is a very important question. Then where does it come from? Where does this feeling of insecurity come from? It's a critical question, and I think you have to spend some time with it and really try and answer this. Why do you feel this way? Where does it start? And it's not primarily a question that I think you can answer with your head. Although you can. I believe you can. It's a question that comes with knowledge. You can answer with your head, but it really comes from who you are your soul, you have to answer it with your heart because it becomes, when we answer it the wrong way, it can become a God to us. Who are we trying to please? What are we trying to please? What do we worship? What makes us feel better? And that may come from a God that's not our one true God. It becomes something, an idol, that starts to give us false security. And this God or this thing um, might provide for us the feeling that determines who we are, where we've come from, right? What we should do, what our true worth is, or what we think our worth is. And we seek this God out. We follow this God because it makes us feel good, at least for a little while. And for you, that might be the God of self-worth, your self-worth, where does that come from? Your God might be the God of success. If I'm successful, that makes me feel better. So you start to just want to be successful. It might be the God of money. The more money you have, the more secure you feel. It might be the God of sin. That sin makes me feel good, at least for a little while, so I start to worship that, and I keep going back to that sin to make me feel worthy It might be the God of being accepted by other people. As long as other people accept me, then I feel better. And so that's what we start to worship. It might be the God of your circumstances. As long as everything lines up, as everything adds up, as long as I feel good about how my day is going and how my life is going, then that becomes the God. And I just want everything to feel that way. And we often look then towards security in the things that won't provide ultimate security for us. It's a false sense of security. We look to the world to give us something that only God can give, and the world can't give it to us that same way. Or we do this. You've seen this in maybe yourself, maybe in others. This is a hard one for me, the the concept where we might break ourselves down, and we start to tell other people, I'm not good enough, right? 
I don't have what it takes. I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And we think that's humility bringing us down to be humble. But really what it is, it's false humility saying, I need other people to approve me. No, you are good enough. No, you can do it. And that's really what I'm seeking. And it becomes a false sense of humility because the focus is still on us. So when we feel insecure because someone threatens our sense of identity, it's telling us something. It's telling us that we have an idol problem. Who, who do we look after? Who are we worshiping? Where do we get our self-worth from? And if those promises are not satisfying us, if the approval of other people or the validation of other people is what we need, if we find that criticism or rejection um, that it just wipes us out, if we see a pattern of sin in our life because that is bringing us some satisfaction and we keep going back to that, then our insecurities is telling us that that's an idol problem and we're worshiping the wrong God. We have a false God that we need to do away with and go back to the God who's greater than our insecurity. The God that says, your insecurities, I'm greater than that. Lean and trust on me. So it becomes this. Our insecurity is not just a warning sign. You know, whoa, stop. You need to be careful. Get in off that that deck, right? It's not just a warning sign. It's also an invitation back to our one true God. When we feel insecure, God is telling us, come back to me. When we have that feeling that comes over us, one, he might be saying, danger, get off the deck, but he also might be saying, come back to me. Let me provide for you what you cannot get anywhere else. Your false beliefs about who you are and your self-worth and your identity, it needs to be found in me. It's God saying to us, I am greater than your insecurities. Christ becomes our identity, and we let go of our self-worth and who we think we are in this world, and we rely and trust on him. It sounds backwards, right? i got to let go of myself to find myself, but Christ says that's the only way you're going to become who I created and designed you to be, is if you trust in me. That's where you find freedom. That's where you find true security. It's in Jesus when he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, come to me all who are weary. I will give you rest. You can't find the rest in something else. It has to be in him. Or Philippians 4. Many of you know this, right? Philippians 4, this passage. I will fill you with peace that surpasses understanding. You try and understand it somewhere else, but come to me and you won't be able to understand it. And I will give you more than you know. Psalm 40, verse 2. And I will make you more secure than you've ever dreamed. Security only in him. Or in Isaiah 43, you are precious in my sight, and I love you. This is God speaking to us, saying, I am greater than your insecurities. Come back to me. Now, our goal is not to address our insecurities. Our goal is not to focus in on those things. Our goal is not to do away with or eliminate our insecurities, because he designed us with that. It's in us. We all are going to be insecure at times. Our goal is to say there is someone greater and something greater, and I'm going to trust in him and go to him to overcome my insecurities. Now, Emma, my daughter, she did learn how to ride her bike. The story goes, um, later that summer, after she gave up and she didn't want to try again, we were having a garage sale. 
I don't remember this happening, um, but she tells the story this way. We were having a garage sale, and we said, hey, you're not going to ride the thing. We're going to sell it. So we put it out in the garage sale. And then I looked out one time, and it was gone. (laughs) The bike was gone, but I didn't think we had sold it yet. It's because she went and got her bike and took it out of the garage sale, threw it over the fence of our neighbors in the back, and the neighbor kids and her, um, they taught her how to ride her bike. And she brought it back and rode it for us that day and said, I can do it. So no matter what, right, you can overcome the things in this world. But number one, you've got to trust and rely that you're working for a greater power. There's someone greater than our insecurities that we need to trust and rely on our our worth. It's not self-worth. It's trust in the worthiness of how God makes us. We're working for him. I want to close my time this morning with you with a video. Um, This is a video. Her name is Nicole Johnson. Um, Some of you ladies have probably seen this video before. And it's a message, I think, for all of us. It's not just for the ladies, although the focus is for moms this morning on this. I think we can all learn something from this. But I want you to overlook the date, the datedness of this video. It's an older video, and and you'll see that. But I want you to look past the quality of the video and the... the, um, the date of it, and hear the message that's being said this morning. Watch this. Gradually, I would walk into a room and say something, and no one would notice. I would say, turn the TV down, please, and nothing would happen. So I would get louder. Turn the TV down, please. Finally, I would have to go over and turn the TV down myself. And then I started to notice it elsewhere. My husband and I had been at a party for about three hours, and I was ready to go. I looked over, and he was talking to a friend from work, and I walked over, and he kept right on talking. He didn't even turn toward me. That's when I started to put it together. (laughs) He can't see me. (laughs) I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Then I started to notice it more and more. I would walk my son to school, and his teacher would say, Jake, who's that with you? And my son would say, nobody. (laughs) Granted, he's just five, but nobody? One night, a group of us gathered, and we were celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just taken this fabulous trip, and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. And I was sitting there looking around at the other women at the table. I'd put my makeup on in the car on the way there. I had on an old dress because it was the only thing clean. And I had my unwashed hair pulled up in a banana clip. And I was feeling pretty darn pathetic. And then Janice turned to me. And she said, I brought you this. (laughs) It was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I didn't understand. And then I read her inscription. She wrote, With admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. You can't name the names of the people who built the great cathedrals. Over and over again, looking at these mammoth works, you scan down to find the names and it says, Builder, unknown, unknown, unknown. They completed things not knowing that anyone would notice. There's a story 
about one of the builders who was carving a tiny bird inside a beam that would be covered over by a roof. And someone came up to him and said, why are you spending so much time on something no one will ever see? And it's reported that the builder replied, because God sees. They trusted that God saw everything. They gave their whole lives for a work, a mammoth work, they would never see finished. They showed up day after day. Some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. That was more than one working man's lifetime, day after day. And they made personal sacrifices for no credit. Showing up at a job they would never see finished for a building their name would never be on. One writer even goes so far as to say no great cathedrals will ever be built again because so few people are willing to sacrifice to that degree. I closed the book and it was as if I heard God say, I see you. You are not invisible to me. No sacrifice is too small for me to notice. I see every cupcake baked, every sequin sewn on, and I smile over everyone. I see every tear of disappointment when things don't go the way you want them to go. But remember, you are building a great cathedral. It will not be finished in your lifetime. And sadly, you will never get to live there. But if you build it well, I will. At times, my invisibility has felt like an affliction to me. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my own pride. It's okay that they don't see. It's okay that they don't know. I don't want my son to tell the friend he's bringing home from college you're not going to believe what my mom does. She gets up at four in the morning and she bakes pies and hand bakes a turkey and she presses all the linens. Even if I do all those things, I don't want him to say that. I want him to want to come home. And secondly, I want him to say to his friend, you're going to love it there. It's okay that they don't see. We don't work for them. We work for him. We sacrifice for him. They will never see, not if we do it right, not if we do it well. Let's pray that our work will stand as a monument to an even greater God. So we celebrate babies. We celebrate graduates. We celebrate moms. And to me, it looks like we're celebrating life. The, the life of babies and as we grow up and the life that moms give. And I don't want us to forget or to overlook the greatest life that was given for us. So every week we come together and we take time to celebrate so it's not hidden, so it's not secretive, so um, it's not invisible, the life that Christ gave for us to remember that, 
there's some guys that are going to pass around some trays, and in those trays is a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. It represents the, the, blo- the body and the blood of Christ that was given for us, the life that was given for us. And he says, never forget. Let's not make this invisible. Let's make this something that we see and we remember. So as they pass around these trays, if you're a believer in him, remember what Christ has done for you, and let's celebrate that life today. Father, I'm grateful for your son, for the gift of his life that he gave for us. Let us celebrate that today as well. Most importantly, because without that, we couldn't celebrate any of the other lives that are given. Thank you for your son, for that gift, and for the life that we get out of that. Because he gave up his life, we have eternal life. We love you, we thank you, and it's in the name of your son that we pray today. Amen.